And so they went to the game and they sat through the whole thing. And then, you know, it was announced, we're sorry, you know, uh, the, the Lakers aren't actually playing tonight. This was the Westminster Dog Show. But nobody noticed because they were so used to seeing the Lakers uh, roll, uh, roll over and play dead. There we go. I stumbled with that one, but I got it there. Thanks. Uh, we are starting the Advent series uh, today, which is the wonder of Christmas. And it's such a, an important time of year. It's such a cool time of year. Uh, last week I said something about the fact that this time of year is one of the two major ones where uh, people are most receptive to the message. And, and yes, it is because they know what the time of year is. It is because of that. But it's also because we are filled with the wonder of Christmas. It's also because Christians are a little more Christian at this time of year. Like we act a little more like we should and we should carry that through. And so I want to talk a little bit about that as we go through the Christmas story. We're going to do a different part of the Christmas story, a, a part that kind of goes unspoken sometimes. And so this is going to be, I'm going to start with Luke chapter 1, verses 11 through 25. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice in his birth. For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. So Zechariah, uh, Elizabeth was the cousin of Mary, I believe. And so Zechariah... Her husband was a priest. And so at this time, and now I guess, uh, the line of priests came from Aaron. And so only a select few, only people in that line could serve as priests. And it was a very important, very honorable job where they would come and they would go to the temple and they would, uh, you know, come in and light candles and pray. And, and they would just really talk to God for their people, for their country, for everyone. And so Zechariah was in that. Now, over the years... The line of Aaron, the, the line of people who could serve as priests, had grown to 20,000. Like so high by the time of Jesus, like 20,000 people. And so you couldn't have the same person every week. You couldn't have 20,000 people go in every week. Uh, that'd be chaotic. But you had to roll lots, basically, which is kind of like a fancy dice game. You had to do that in order to choose uh, who would be the priest that would go that week. So it was a big honor. And sometimes, a lot of the time... Uh, it would be like a once-in-a-lifetime type thing. So Zechariah knew that this was his week. He knew this was his time. He knew this was something special. And so he very much cared about it. It was a huge honor. And so there's an established ritual. Like I said, they would go in, they would light the incense, they would pray. And it was a time where uh, the people would wait outside to make sure that the priest was alive because there was always the chance that God would strike him dead because he wasn't holy enough or because he hadn't prayed the correct way or because he had the wrong things on his heart, whatever it was. And then two priests would go along with him up until that point to kind of help him out, and then they would do other things while he's up there taking care of the prayer. And so because of all that, with the multitude waiting and priests all around, Zechariah probably only prayed for other people. Like he probably didn't put himself in there because he would have seen that as selfish. Now we know that we can pray to God for anything. And we know that we're supposed to go to him with everything. He wants us to. He wants to know us personally. He wants to help us. 
But Zechariah had such a, a, a desire to serve in that profession, in that calling, that he probably was just going and praying and, and giving everything that he heard and giving everything for his country and giving everything for his people and just for everything. And he probably prayed for a Messiah because that was a major prayer. And so he was so focused. And then all of a sudden an angel appears. Now this isn't like one of the little precious moments angels. This is probably like the revelation, like major scary angel. And so it's kind of neat that he probably maybe thought for a second, is this what happens to every priest that comes in here? But no, he, he walks in and he prays and the angel appears. And the first thing the angel says, Gabriel, is your prayer has been heard. You will have a son. Now, as I said, Zechariah was probably not praying for that. It was something on his heart. And it had always been on his heart. Him and Elizabeth had gotten older and they carried it. And probably as they started out, they prayed every single day, multiple times. And then all the time. And then it kind of cut back a little bit because they got older and older and it got less likely. But they still carried that and they still prayed and they still hoped. But by the time he got to this moment, it was probably just a distant thought, a distant dream, something that was in the back of his head. Now, we see a little bit about us and a lot about God in this part. Because for us, sometimes we do that. We carry those things. We have a, a, a dream. We have a hope. We have a plan. We have something we want so desperately, so badly to do good with, to, to help with, to find hope with, to just be a, a strong person, a strong Christian with. And we'll pray and we'll pray and we'll pray. And then you know the whole yes, no, maybe thing with God. And we'll kind of wait. And then it won't happen and we'll wait and we'll kind of you know, be like, ah, maybe not. And then we keep praying and we praying. And then we'll eventually maybe give up on it. And that shows who we are because it's not that we don't trust God. It's not that Zechariah didn't trust God. But we're so used to the world. We're so used to how things work that if they don't happen in our timetable, if they don't happen when we think they should, then we kind of let it go. And so Zechariah was probably at that point, And this is where we see about God. Because you see, no matter what we let go, no matter when we think something will happen, God still knows us. And he still hears the prayers of our heart. He still hears the prayers of our mind. He still hears the prayers of our soul. He still hears us, and he sees us, and he hears our prayers, like Gabriel said. Going in, Zechariah had no idea that the two biggest prayers of his life were about to be answered. Number one, that he would have a son, John. But number two, that his people would have a Messiah. He probably hadn't even considered that either. And, and here, you know, the angel didn't comment on it here. But this is the dawn of the Christmas story, the dawn of what we talk about, the dawn of the wonders of Christmas, where next Gabriel had a couple other stops. And he tells them what's coming, and he tells Zechariah what comes before that. And it's so cool what he says. Because he talks about John in such an amazing way. And it's everything you'd want to hear about a child. He says, listen... He's going, to be, he's going to take the Nazarite vows like Samson should have. And he's going to really help people. Like really help people. He's going to point them to, to the Lord. He's going to help them. He's going to listen to them. He's going to serve them. He's going to be somebody that, that is just an amazing messenger, an amazing person, an amazing follower of God. And he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. And so Zechariah is still probably kind of reeling from hearing that he's going to have a kid. And now he's like, hey, but your kid is going to be amazing. And he is going to show you such amazing things. And he's going to show the world such amazing things. And 
he makes the comment that he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children. That's actually a callback to the very end of the Old Testament. And so Malachi recognized those words from uh, Malachi 3, 4, and 5. And you can check me if you want. Uh, but he recognized those words as kind of ending the Old Testament. And so he probably was like, whoa. Whoa. And maybe it clicked. He might still be stuck on the Sundays. But maybe it clicked that this meant a continuation of God's plan. Because over time, he had probably kind of convinced himself and, and others had convinced themselves that God's plan ended with the scripture that they knew. But God's plan never ends. It doesn't end for our life. It doesn't end for the world. It doesn't end for anything because God is always working. That's Beatrice's favorite song right now. God is always working. He's always working for us. He's always hearing us. He's always listening to us. And he's telling Zechariah this through the angel. Now, in the Christmas story, obviously Jesus is the center, and he should be the center. Not just in the story itself, but in how we celebrate, and how we live our lives, and who we are. But John had a purpose, and he had a role. And his parents, Zachariah and Elizabeth, had a role. And Mary and Joseph had a role. And we can have a role. And it sounds like I'm telling you Thanksgiving again, and you can all have roles. <laughs> but I'm saying, we can all have a part of his plan because his plan is so big and so perfect and so beyond anything we can comprehend that we still get a chance to serve. We still get a chance to help. And I want to go to a quote from John the Baptist, not as a baby, but as an adult. He must increase, but I must decrease. And not only did John say these words, he lived these words his entire life. Now think about John for a second. I don't want to go too deep into John, but think about him. Everywhere he went, after, especially after Jesus began his ministry, it was, oh, hey, where's Jesus? Hey, it's nice to see you. It's kind of like last week, everybody that talked to me said, hi, Beatrice. And everybody wanted to sit by me all of a sudden last week, but there's two empty chairs this week. And so John felt that over and over and over again. And yet, he didn't think anything of it. He's like, this is the way it should be. This is the way it should be because my role, my life, my hope is to point to Jesus. And so he did. And he said, he is going to increase. But I must decrease. Now it's important to note, and this is my English major stuff. It does not say that he will decrease us. Because he only increases us. He only helps us. He only lifts us up. He only gives us more. But we must choose to ourselves to decrease ourselves, our wants, our desires, our everything, and fill them with him. Fill ourselves with him. Show everyone who he is. And so for Zechariah and for us, these words are important. For the way we live our lives, to look to John's life, the way that he lived this out, the way that he spoke it, and it's vital for us to do that. To put ourselves aside sometimes. And this is the time of year where we really have a chance to do that. Now, over time, Christmas has kind of changed from this story. We all still talk about it. And the children's musical, which isn't up there right now, obviously, but the children's musical is going to share this story. And it's going to show that the kids are just getting something out of this and showing us. And to listen to the children sing and talk about this is going to be amazing. But we also get caught up in everything else because this is the year end. And so, man, we're worried about taxes. And this is, as Sean said, Cyber Monday. And that's pretty exciting. 
for people that understand what that is. And so we think about the deals, and we think about Christmas presents, and we think about what we're going to do next year, and we think about what we're going to do on New Year's Eve, and we think about what Christmas is going to look like, and oh no, the goose is burnt, because goose is a traditional Christmas dinner. I assume everybody here has that. If you want some, there's a bunch over by my apartment. You can just grab one. (laughs) And so we have all of those things on our mind. And especially if we have a family, if we have children, if we have people that count on us, there's so much to think about, so much to plan, so much to decorate. But we must decrease. I don't mean decorate less. I don't mean give less. I don't mean get less even. I mean decrease what we are thinking, what we are worried about, what we are carrying, and fill it with him. Fill it with him, just like John did, just like Zechariah tries to do, just like Jesus taught us. Because he is the reason for the season, and everyone here has said that at some point. But it needs to be more than just a little rhyming phrase. It needs to be the actual point, the actual reason. Everything that we do, it doesn't mean Santa Claus is bad. It doesn't mean that the presents are bad. In fact, bring me presents, that's awesome. But it means that at the heart of everything we do, everything we say, everything we are, has to be him. And John understood that. John wasn't perfect, but the cool thing about John, one of the cool things about him, we all remember his name. We know how he lived. We know how he died. We know who he was. We know who he served. Never once, at least in written record, did he perform a single miracle. He just talked about Jesus. He just pointed people to Jesus. He just lived for Jesus. That's what we can do. That's who we can be, is live for Jesus, point to Jesus, fill ourselves with Jesus to the point that it's bursting. And and we don't even have to say a word for people to see him in our faces. Uh, Last week, for the very first time, I went back and watched my sermon. I muted it, but I went back and watched my sermon. Not because of me, but I wanted to see Beatrice. What you guys all saw right away. I wanted to see it. And I was watching. And what filled me with the most joy was the smile on her face as she just played in the house of the Lord. And maybe she'll be a pastor. Maybe she'll be something in the church. Maybe she'll be a missionary. But but she felt at home. She felt Jesus. You could see him in her little face. How amazing would it be if other people said that about us? That doesn't mean we have to run around up here. Again, you can. I can still go through it. But it means that people see you and immediately know what you're filled with. They know what you're about. They know who you are. I want to continue. Uh, This is to verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary, which means he must have been really good at charades to pull that off. 
what Zechariah said is, I think, how most of us would react. It's not that he was doubting God. At least that's what he was telling himself. It's that he was doubting himself. He looked at his age, and he looked at everything he'd done, and he looked at the heartbreak over time. And again, he's not looking at God and saying, God can't. He's saying, I can't. But ultimately, that turns out to be the same thing. And so, despite all of that, and this is where the mercy of God is shown, even though his doubt did have consequences, and he was made silent, which is more important than we think, and I know some of you here are looking over at your spouse and saying, I kind of wish. <laughs> and I'll talk about those consequences in just a second. But even though they had consequences, God did not remove his promise. He gave him a punishment. But he did not say, you no longer have a role in my plan. He did not say, you will no longer receive joy. He did not say, you will no longer have a son. He just said, you're going to be quiet. You're going to be still and truly know that I am God. Being mute, that mattered, especially for him, because again, he was a priest. And so not only couldn't he run out and share the news, and this is amazing news. Just imagine that this happens to you. It's amazing news, and he's unable to share it. And that's part, and that's a personal consequence. But part of the whole priestly service was that after the priest prayed and lit incense, he would then come out and basically lead a worship service. He would praise God and he would talk about God and everything that, 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 that he'd taught him or given him there. And they would sing. And they would have this little worship service and it was amazing, it was important, and it was something that people looked forward to. That's why there were multitudes outside. I'm talking multitudes. And they were all waiting and they all looked. And they probably were thinking, is, is he dead? Like, is he going to come out? And then he comes out silent. And here is where he messed up. Because again, it's not that he doubted God. It's that he looked at the circumstances first. And then looked at what God could do. How often do we catch ourselves doing that? We look at the circumstances first. We look at the way the world is. We look at the bills we owe. We, we look at the problems we have. We look at something we're going through first. And then we get to God. But we always must look to him first. And back to Zechariah's prayers and his dreams. Think about yours. Not just the ones you have now. But think about the prayers and the dreams and the hopes that, that you've had for a long time. Maybe to the point that you've kind of let some of them go away. Now, some of them, through rejection, or through time, or through hurt, or through even our failure, have gone away. But we can always pick them up, or pick up new ones, or find new ones. Because in Him, there is hope. In Him, there is truth. In Him, there is joy. In Him, there is love. In Him, there is peace. And so think about those, the ones that you've had. Think about why maybe they went away. And again, if it's rejection or time or you tried and failed, that's one thing. But if it was because of doubt, I have another quote. Doubt kills more dreams than failure ever will. How true is that? Doubt kills more dreams than failure ever will. And I can look at my own life for this. Again, not doubt of God. 
but doubt of ourselves, which turns into doubt of what God can do. Doubt is unavoidable. We're human. And as I've said many times, like we can't control that first thought, that first impulse, that first judgment that comes in our heads. We can't stop the bird from landing on our hair. I guess unless you have really spiky hair. But we can stop it from roosting, from nesting, from laying eggs, from whatever else birds do. And so that first pang of doubt, maybe after years of trying, years of hoping, that first pang of doubt, you cannot stop that. But you can realize, wait a second, am I doubting because this is maybe something that wasn't of God? Or am I doubting because this is maybe something that just isn't likely? Or am I doubting because I'm looking at the circumstances? Because I'm not looking at what God can do. Because I don't fully trust him. Because I'm not decreasing myself enough. And it's a hard line. It's something that's difficult for some of us, for all of us. But he is always working. He is always listening. He is always there. There's a phrase that I say a lot, and I wear it on my shirt sometimes. Not today. Uh, Jason, when I came in, said, man, I was positive you were going to wear a Titan shirt today. And I actually had planned on it until yesterday happened, and I won't comment on yesterday. <laughs> but I figured that you guys were not going to be in the mood for me to wear a Titan shirt. But don't worry, I, you lost to Purdue too, and that broke my heart. But there's a phrase that has meant a lot to me over the years, and it's always keep fighting. And it's in regards to depression and anxiety and just continuing on, and I love it, and I donate to the cause. But it also means as long as there is life, there is hope, and all hope comes from him. And so always keep fighting, always keep believing, always keep looking to him, always keep filling yourself with him, always keep hoping, because as long as you are alive, there is hope. And maybe the dreams that you had have to change. But God is always working, he will always give you what you need, he will always see through what you think, into what matters, into what you truly need, into what you truly want even. God's plan. God's plan is beyond amazing. And you see, he knew the prayers of Zachariah's heart, of Elizabeth's heart, and he wasn't ignoring their prayers. Because as we've said, he hears every single prayer and he answers every single prayer. Maybe not in the way we expect or want, but he does answer it. And so he saw Zechariah, he saw Elizabeth, and he knew his plan, his timing was perfect. Sometimes it doesn't match up to our timing or our plan, but i got to say, we should be extremely thankful that the world does not run by our plan, by our timing, because we can be very impatient, and we can want the wrong thing sometimes, but God sees through that, and he sees what we need, and he sees us, and he hears us, and he listens to us. Christmas is about a lot of things. It's about family, and it's about hope. But it is also, it is also about the fact that there is hope in our lives. There is hope to come. There is hope of the Savior. There is hope of salvation. There is hope of everything we could possibly want. In Him. Through Him. By decreasing ourselves. By increasing Him. It is never too late 
to let go of doubt, to pick up our dreams. And again, maybe those dreams have to change. But God doesn't change. And his desire to help us, his desire to lift us up, his desire to help us to always keep fighting never changes. His love for us never changes. Now think about that. Think about the worst moments of your life. And I don't mean the hardest moments. I mean the times where you felt or were farthest away from God. He still loved you completely then. He still loved you before you were bored. He loved you when you were crying and throwing a fit in Walmart. Just last week for some of us. But he loved us (laughs) even then. He loves you at your lowest. He loves you at your highest. He loves you everywhere in between, completely and fully. And if that does not give you hope, nothing I ever say will. And this is the message that he gave to Zechariah. You've given up, but I've not given up on you. And there is a purpose for your pain. There is a hope beyond that. I want to go to verse 23. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. As I said, the people, the multitude had been waiting to see what was going to happen. And at this time, it was a very real danger that the priest would just drop dead. In fact, at different times, they would tie a rope around the priest just in case. Because everybody was just learning how to follow God, just learning how to walk. And so the people had been waiting. And when he came out and he didn't do the tradition, man, when things didn't go how they expected, they had lots of thoughts. And they probably didn't immediately yell out encouragement, to be honest. But then they realized something had happened. And how? Because he couldn't speak. And he couldn't have been that good at hand motions. I don't know why this is the hand motion I chose. I don't know how to do like shadow puppets and things. I guess that's a bunny. But they saw God at work in him and through him. And even though they had no idea what had happened, and even though he couldn't even describe what had happened, God's work was so clear. Because no matter how much you know, or what you've been through, or what you do, if you are filled with him, people can see that and they know it. If you have increased him in your life, people know that. And so Zechariah came out, but even in his failure, his doubt, God used him to get people's attention. Because they saw something. They saw something. You see, we don't have to be perfect. And we're not. But we have to rely on him because he is. And that is one of the hearts of the Christmas story. And God fulfilled his promise. And I want to go to Elizabeth for a second. Because she says, she goes away for five months and and historically in commentaries and stuff, this wasn't to like get in touch with the news or anything. This was to go and praise God for five months basically. And when she came back, it says that she said, how kind the Lord is. And I think some of us think, why didn't she like say, man, God is awesome. Besides the fact that word didn't exist for a couple centuries. 
But why didn't she say, God is so good, or whatever? Because her life had been filled with disappointment. And God showed her a tremendous kindness. And so when she yells out, God is so kind, that is the greatest compliment she could have given in that moment. But then she says something that tells you how heartbreaking her life had been. He has taken away the disgrace. You see, God wasn't the one that made her feel disgrace. Others around her, the culture, the times, the, the rules, the traditions, they made her feel disgrace. She allowed herself to feel that. She'd lived a life. She'd lived a life of loss. A life of disappointment. There was still good and there was still happiness. And as I said, her and Zechariah had probably given up on that. And so they did other things. They filled their lives with other things and that's important and that's good. But God still heard her and said, you are not a disgrace. Even if the dream had been fulfilled in a different way, she was not a disgrace because she followed him, because she trusted him. Some of you, some of us, don't have family. And this time of year is about family. And we see that and we hear that everywhere. And so it can be easy to feel alone. It can be easy to feel lost. It can be easy to feel disgraced because we don't match up to what the world says we should match up to. Some of you, some of us, have had losses beyond imagining. We've dealt with heartbreak. We've dealt with hurt. We've dealt with pain. We've dealt with all kinds of things. And we cannot imagine celebrating at this time of year. Much less any other time. Some. Some don't think they're worth it. They don't think that they're worth celebrating. They don't think they're worth being happy. They don't think they're worth having their dreams fulfilled. They don't think they're worth Everything Jesus can offer. But even if you don't fit into any of those groups, even if you feel pretty good about your life, the world still drags at us. And there are still worries and pain and things that just sap at our joy. Steal our joy, steal our hope even. And so I have one final quote. You may feel lost and alone, but God knows exactly where you are. Let me reread that. You may feel lost and alone, but God knows exactly where you are. And he has a good plan for your life. That is the real word good. Not if somebody says, hey, how you doing today? Oh, good. That's like good. That's holy. That's important. That's powerful. That is godly. He has a plan for your life. And no matter how you feel, no matter what you have lost, no matter who you have lost, and it is okay to feel the pain. I mentioned last week, I think, that December 11th is the anniversary of the 12 year, I believe at this point, anniversary of my great-grandmother's death. And so every year at that point, I go and I eat White Castle which is punishing in its own way. But that was her favorite meal. And even as she went towards Alzheimer's and couldn't eat very much, she would eat like eight of those things. 
And so that's kind of how I remember her. This time of year is amazing. But it can be hard. It can be painful. And you can feel lost. You can feel alone. You can feel alone in a family. You can feel alone in a group. You can feel alone in a congregation. Even if you only feel alone and lost for a moment of time. You are never truly lost because God knows exactly where you are. He can pick you out of a crowd. He can pick you out of all of the crowds in the history of time. And he is always working. And he is always listening. And he always sees you. He knows where you are. He knows who you are. He knows how you are. He knows what you need. Whatever your situation, God knows it. And he still loves you. Wherever you are, God hears you. And he loves your voice. He loves your heart. He loves your soul. He loves your hope. Whoever you are, God sees you. And I don't mean he just sees you exist. I mean he really sees you. He sees past the bravado and whatever else we put out there. He sees past the, oh, I'm okay. And he sees to the core of who we are. And he loves us. And his arms are wide open. Saying, guys, look back at me. Focus on me. Let go of what you need to let go of. And pick me up. And allow me to increase. And allow me to increase you. I promise you, there is a hope for your life. For all of our lives. There is a plan. And there is a future. In addition to being Christmas time, this time of year also serves as the end of our calendar year. And while I'm not one for New Year's resolutions, because when we put that kind of pressure and time period on something, we often go above and beyond for those. And I don't mean an effort. I mean... I'm going to lose 250 pounds by Tuesday. <laughs> and I am going to give 98% of my salary to charity. And we make these bold proclamations. And then when we don't match up to it, we give up. That's why the first couple, year, first couple days of the year, I don't go to the gym because the parking lot is packed. <laughs> but get me to the second week and it's just me in there. And I don't do that much, but still. But in addition to it being Christmas, the calendar gives us a chance for a little extra motivation and to look at ourselves, to look at our lives, to look at what we have, to look at what we want, to look at our dreams, to look at our hopes, to look at our hurts. And so use this time of year to let go of your doubts. Use this time of year to begin to heal. To allow him to increase in your life. To allow his hold on you to increase. To how, allow his love in you to increase. Not just in what you feel, but in what you show other people. Use this time of year, not just to celebrate Christmas, not just to celebrate him, but to truly begin to live for him. And then, Take away that stereotype of Christians are only this way at Christmas and Easter and live that out every single day because it's possible, because we can, because he is with us. 
Use this time of year to learn from your past, to learn from your hurts, to learn from your failures, to learn from your pain, to grow. Use this time of year to truly begin to trust him, to truly begin to love him, and then to take that love, to take that trust, to take that hope out into the world where people will see you. And just like with Zechariah, even before you say a word, they will say, I see Jesus. That's all I got.